episode of the Python People podcast, the home for global technology leaders to share insights. And my name is Guy Bevington. Um, I'm the MD of True North Recruitment Group. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by the head of data science and products for CDP, uh, Stylianos Taxidis. So Stylianos, a big warm welcome to you. Uh, thank you very much for being here. How was your, uh, your Easter weekend? Was the Easter bunny kind? It was it was really nice and uh, relaxing. Thank you for having me, Guy. And uh, I'm really glad I'm here to hopefully share some insights that might help people. I have no doubt you will, absolutely, based on our, our previous chats. Um, so, so yeah, I guess to to kind of frame um, the the topic today, then. So we we spoke recently, and I think we we both agreed that yeah, when it comes to data science specifically, a lot of companies uh, want to be doing it. Um, but are either not really sure how to go about doing it or if they are doing it they're not necessarily um, too sure whether they're seeing effective ROI or how to effectively effectively measure the ROI uh, when it comes to data science so I think tangible delivery of business value from data science I think it's fair to say is pretty high priority for a lot of organizations and uh, somebody of your particular background your credentials and the kind of journey that you've, you've been on um, I think it's particularly qualified to, to, to talk around that area so um, yeah before we delve into into it and uh, you know go into the, the nitty-gritty um, do you want to just start by giving us a bit of an overview of, of your background and um, yeah your, your sort of career bio today yeah of course guy so I started um, in the civil engineering domain uh, given that data science wasn't a thing when I was uh, doing my degree um, I then went into uh, a master in system engineering and management where I actually fell into research around the econometrics model on aviation demand and stuff like that um, the reason that I wasn't very keen on the civil engineering space was that while we have uh, have deep respect for the profession, I really like it. I've, I am very impatient on seeing the material impact of my work. And that's really a bad tray for a civil engineer, given the amount of time you need to usually uh, wait for a big construction project to see what actually comes through. So I went into the generic field of software and more working into data, trying to produce insight with research papers and all that. And that was when I found out about data science, like a lot of other people. Um, econometrics analyst was previously what I did in my research. We had many titles when data science was young and there wasn't uh, an established path for it. Mm -hmm. um, and after a while, I got my first corporate role in data science after academia, mostly again, because I thought that I would um, have more significant impact and I would see the value of my work materialize. I started in a big uh, utility company uh, as a data scientist in an R&D uh, function uh, for the first year, um, where I did uh, some brilliant work uh, with a colleague. And what we, we saw, though, was that we struggled to get through that R&D phase, we, we created prototypes that in our heads had immense business value, yet we didn't see adoptions, we didn't see more investment, anything. And uh, as the company matured slowly and they created the data function, 
um, I got these early learnings and tried to apply them with the help of other professionals um, as we went through our journey. And when I left um, said organizations, we had uh, seven product teams uh, working on data science products. We had a data science product platform team. Um, we also had multiple uh, products that had been launched, used in the business, um, establishing business benefit, but also uh, some of them got illustrious business awards. Um, and uh, from my knowledge, it continues down this path. I generally wanted from the beginning, I went into the water utility space because uh, water scarcity, I believe, is a big problem for the generation. So um, I really want to work and materialize impact in fields where I feel that I'm adding some social value as well and trying to solve the big problems of our generation. So it was um, a good challenge when CDP came along. CDP is a global non-for-profit that um, handles the disclosure, the environmental disclosure cycle for city states, investors, and uh, corporates around the world, helps measure the environmental impact, um, raise the awareness around it, and helps companies on how to manage this impact, and also assigns the light to the true leaders in this space, so people can follow that example. So taking on the role of head, head of data science and product in CDP was a brilliant challenge and almost like a natural next step in my career, um, which uh, was a big readjustment, I would say, because it was a smaller organization. I went from an organization of a size of over five, 6,000 people to a global organization, uh, UK-based to a global organization, and five to 6,000 to 500 people. So there were differences in scale, there were differences in maturity from the, uh, non, from the profit to non-for-profit uh, cycle. So it was a really great experience. And now we're on our second year there, and we're establishing a new data science function uh, doing the journey from the beginning, hopefully taking all the learnings from the past and uh, doing it better this time around. And uh, I believe that's part of a, a leader's job, to learn from uh, previous endeavors, adjust the approach and do things better, uh, given the context that we are in and uh, also trying to establish the true value through the strategic goals of each organization that you work with. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fantastic. Thank you for that as an introduction and, uh, you yeah, know, very impressive and, and clearly your, uh, your experience spans a, a real, uh, breadth, but also clearly a depth as well, which no doubt we'll, uh, we'll go on to, but, uh, yeah, to further reiterate, clearly somebody that's very, um, able to talk about this particular topic. So, uh, yeah, exciting to, uh, to pick your brains on it. Um, so, so yeah, talk us through it. And you made a really good point there about, you know, I think by the nature of data science, machine learning, it's very sort of exploratory and very pioneering, I guess, from a, a technology standpoint. And, and certainly a conversation I have with a lot of CEOs and MDs is they do struggle often to see that um, gap merging between R&D, prototyping and actual real world adoption and real derived business value that sort of comes from it. So. Talk us through, you know, your experience of, of how you've gone about that, you know, growing a, a data science function in, and really, I guess, how do you, you know, go about the process of demonstrating that at Business Valley? I mean, as a leader, when you come into um, corporate, um, 
what do you want to do? You want to establish the visibility, the value of your function and the value of yourself. It's always a new challenge coming into a new organization. So as leaders, we come in with what I want to call buggers. There's high anticipation for us, especially in the data science space. Um, the hype is not always just good. Hype also comes with advertised great results. Many consultancies that tell you, tell you that you will have 10x uh, results in three, four months. And as you come in as a leader trying to establish a new data science function, you need uh, to almost ground yourself. My personal view is you need to, first of all, identify and understand what are the biggest uh, organizational problems, but also opportunities. I'm going back to nothing to do with data science, more qualitative um, kind of SWOT and strategic analysis. Read as much and educate yourself in the first month on the uh, business domain of your organization. After that, try to find data with a data-driven approach from the existing analytics or data functions. What are as I said, problems and opportunities, and also try to find which are the most receptive stakeholders to data science, because you will have some that might not be the biggest funds. Um, they tend to be older operational focused uh, executives and senior stakeholders, which quite frankly might have also been banned a couple of times from consultancy projects and are um, negative towards data science projects. My next approach would be to set up a small team to try and automate partly or fully that uh, problem, illustrating the business value. If you can uh, embrace the function, so go for a, a problem that would be partly automated and you would have an algorithm that would work with uh, human experts assistance, you would probably, after accomplishing that, have your first um, flag accomplishment if, if you would like to advertise the value of a data science function with the business value delivery. After that, things uh, usually snowball quite fast. Um, your previous business case now talks to yourself. You have a solid part to, to, to put behind your budgeting. Um, you start to educate um, HR and other admin functions around the value of data science, but also the differences of data science. Um, you could start by illustrating uh, the difference in salaries. That is something that is a challenging fight everywhere I've been, which is not a mature data science organization. But um, for me, from my perspective, is you build a strategy, you educate your senior stakeholders and your clients that want to work with you. You start by creating product working teams after you establish your first kind of proof of value product. And these product teams would have data scientists. Um, if you are not in a mature organization, data scientists sitting kind of in a central team and product owners coming only from the business side. And actually those people that you know really know the domain. They shouldn't be software or any type of experts. They should just know their domain. And through setting up uh, an organization like that, um, you could continue illustrating and growing your team. Now, there are different patterns on the team growth late, later on. Uh, depending on your organizational maturity, you might have a hybrid model where the data scientists, some of your data scientists sit in the business unit 
to to gain that expertise along the 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 stakeholders and the product owners and feed the central team. Um, even in that hybrid model, though, you should have almost like a data science community or a central function. You should be almost a functional leader that takes care of the data science problem. And then you also have the, the business domain leader that feeds in the biggest problems. So you create a pipeline of upcoming problems and you start allowing individual data scientists to experiment with solutions, bring in creativity without losing the exchange of knowledge from the central hub and community. So your whole data science team uh, gets more educated and they progress together. There's nothing worse than to have an isolated data scientist that can't review their thought patterns, their algorithms and everything else with mm. some colleagues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see. Oh, fantastic answer. I mean, what really struck me about that is you're clearly a leader that sees the bigger picture you know and i think that's the from what i've seen anyway in my experience of the data science industry is it's the leaders that actually understand what they're doing and how it fits into the, the bigger business domain um you know have the real respect for the business domain and like i said it, i guess a lot of it is common sense but actually approaching yes there's opportunities but it's approaching real world business problems that you can actually solve um you know and i think those kind of um uh leaders you know they very often are more uh, able to demonstrate value quicker because they're solving problems quicker rather than some kind of esoteric you know fantastic algorithm that could be uh, perhaps really fantastic in future but for now you know it's actually adding value so um so yeah i uh, i massively respect that and, and you mentioned there the idea about allowing people in the team to kind of you know empowering them to kind of creatively go off and, and maybe tackle certain problems how do you balance that um and what have you found i guess the most effective ways to inspire yet manage a team in, in an efficient way so i i do believe that you need to actually um lead by example so whatever are the principles that you establish for your team you illustrate them um you you show big respect to all your business stakeholders and you create a culture where um data scientists recognize and are taught almost by the finish of their data science education that they're a special breed they're unicorns they're really skilled and some people get affected by that culture on dismissing some of the tacit knowledge that experts have been amassing to their whole lives Another thing that you need to make sure is the communication skills from your team and assist them to always show respect and hear the opposite view, even if it's wrong. Because some of these people have been doing this job for a lot of time and we, as, as any person on the data quality department will tell you, data quality is not stagnant and it's nothing that in most organizations is in the high 80s, 90%. So you can't believe your data all the time. That's why you really need experts that will tell you that, oh, you get these values from that telemetry equipment because it's stuck under X rock and it creates that malfunction. Mm. If you do not approach people like that with respect, you will lose um, some of their tacit knowledge that has come from years of experience. And that will affect your data science algorithms mm. a lot. And they will be your biggest elements of combatants. From a, from a leadership perspective, for me, there are three pillars. Find out what your people's 
want, have uh, sincere conversations, and create career paths from there. Uh, in uh, my personal uh, um, experience and functions, I create kind of a technical, a semi-leader uh, career path. The technical being a senior or principal data scientist. Um, they are the type of people that don't like the comms with uh, non-technical stakeholders. They like tinkering and building new stuff. There is always space for them in any organization. Mm. But you need to understand what they want and you need to not try and fit them in the wrong role. Mm. Then I have something that I call the technical lead role and more a person that doesn't go that deep, maybe in the algorithmic space, but they're more TSEG. So they can do a bit of data visualization. They understand the principles of multiple dom domains. They're hungry to learn about architecture, data engineering and everything else. And they are usually the people with softer skills that also would be a, a technical BA kind of role, liaison. And they can be great leaders inside the data science product team, conversing with a product owner. And you need to establish a, a culture where both the technical lead and the senior data scientist do not feel they're less than each other. Mm. They just have chosen different paths. And lastly, you need to establish certain principles in the team. Respect, open communication, fair, fast attitude, and being always the shield protecting your people after hard work. Because as you said, there is an R&D element. And it is up to you to try and create something that data scientists usually don't have. Because we are data scientists, it doesn't mean that we do not perform some type of analytics in our early stages of a project. One of the things that I found is you set up to do an algorithm. The algorithm doesn't work because the data wasn't good enough, but you find um, nuggets of gold inside gold when you're performing your ADA. That actually does prove really valuable to, to a department. So you need to allow your data science to not discard, the data scientists need to not discard any insight. Keep them and communicate them to everyone and pivot on the value definitions of what they're doing. Also, you need to guide the younger junior people that will come in, they will want to do the cut off thing, the best and uh, final algorithm. And as some of the people that I've worked will tell you, I start by asking, have you tried logistic regression? I know it sounds pedantic, but in the end of the day, we need to start with the simplest algorithm that will give us the best possible results mm. because it's also explainable. It's not a black box. I've, a lot of my academic career was in neural networks, yet I avoid them in the business domain as much as I can. Why? Because they're not great for everything and they're really hard to explain. So they make your role on the engagement of the senior stakeholders really difficult. For mm. me, these complex advanced algorithms should come after a couple of years of the establishment of a data science function with proof points and deliverables as almost a phase two of a problem. When you have established this trust with all your senior stakeholders that they can trust you to create an engine that they quite frankly don't want to understand. But before you establish that trust, that might create more friction with the business domains. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and again, what I really like about your uh, approach there, it seems like there's a real level of pragmatism, yeah, quite frankly, towards how you build the team. And yeah, just when you're talking about the, the different personality types and the different skill sets, you know, I've, I've worked with companies in the past where, yeah, you always have this conversation about how do you achieve true scale. And I think your uh, your point there about yeah, actually aligning people in the role that aligns with their strengths, you know, it makes sense. Whereas I've, I've worked with some companies in the past where they, they literally just recruit for a mini me, you know, type person where everyone's sort of a cookie cutter, right? We need this person. And they're just trying to replicate one kind of profile, which, okay, fair enough. If that's the manager's prerogative, that's what I want to do. That's fine. But obviously it works to a certain degree, but you, I, I think you're always going to struggle to achieve true scale or, or something really that takes on its own sort of special, uh, you know, life form of everybody contributing and bringing different perspectives to the table and playing to their own strengths. And uh, I think that's clearly a concept that you you obviously get. Um, and also, I really like the way you're talking about, you know, a lot of the a lot of the concepts around they're not necessarily data science specific, but just actually what's what's good. Um, what's a good team culture? Like talking about, you know, failing fast, and and you know, a lot of it is, is just. It's human psychology isn't it but it's that's really uh, i think very often something that gets overlooked especially in a really kind of numerate discipline like data science you know often actual people and and you know personality types and, and culture and, and just real strong motivation uh you know gets um sort of looked over so clearly it seems like you've got a very holistic approach from that regard as well I mean, data scientists are really smart people and uh, they can provide insight with data or they can lie to you with data. And that is a culture drive. Mm. If you drive a non-failure in such an R&D-based uh, environment, then you will have hidden skeletons all around the place. Mm. Why? Because if someone doesn't feel safe to fail, in a domain like data scientists, they, they will find a way to make it look it works. Because mm. <laughs> the results, the business impact doesn't come immediately, mm. and okay. you will have a big attrition culture. Yes, yeah, very true, absolutely, yeah, and that really is the the role of a leader, isn't it? I think to uh, to create that environment where it's it is safe to fail, and yeah, and we yep. we, we have a very similar um, you know situation within recruitment in the world and the business because really recruitment nobody nobody comes in. I'm sure it's very similar to data science, but nobody comes in for recruitment knowing what they're doing straight away. And very often there's a real level of sentiment and emotion attached to failing. You know, if something goes wrong, there's a, a real sense of, of shame and you don't want to admit it to other people. And it can be very damaging to somebody's growth and somebody's career because, you know, we all know the adage that an expert is somebody that's made every single mistake in a particular exactly. vertical. And it's true, isn't it? It's, it's true for any, any walk of life that you go into, I think. <clears throat> It's every time that the light is shown, people see the successful stories. They don't see all the um, fallbacks and the failures that were, came before these successful stories. 100%. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so, um, yeah, so obviously you mentioned there quite a bit about your, your approach, but something I always find quite interesting is the... I guess the methodologies that a leader might employ, you know, versus maybe more of a traditional, traditional technology um, area such as software engineering. You know, it's obviously very akin to, you know, agile methodologies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
within data science, there's obviously a bit more uh, discussion and about you know what methodologies actually work to deliver an effective data science initiative. Um, so yeah, so how do you go about that? Is there other particular methodologies that you employ habitually to deliver data science projects? Well, I I will uh, go back to your reference to, to software to to a certain extent the data science product not just the algorithm but it is a piece of code it is a software so um it would be uh, non cognizant of us to to actually fail to acknowledge the years and years of experience that come from software engineering it would also be a huge failure for us to try to put data science in the same box as software engineering why because uh, where in software you're actually designing and building a new system from scratch uh, it's every for me at least uh, unless you're doing enhancements every software engineering project is a greenfield so you start and you will code x function that will do what you're expecting you will test it in data science you start with data and actually what the data tells you the eda and all of that um is not something you can influence or change at all so you will have bigger failures that's the reason why i uh, personally as a methodology i try a combination of scrum uh the framework from agile and uh crisp dm now crisp dm uh comes uh from data mining it has a feedback loop which i believe that a lot of uh, the data science methodology, Google's, Microsoft are similar. You start with business understanding. So as we said previously, understand what business problem you're trying to solve. Because if you get that wrong and your data scientist gets that wrong, everything else uh, tumbles down. The mm. second bit is data understanding. So before we commit that we'll solve this problem, get the data for it, identify if there is enough uh, data, and actually start understanding what the data tells you. Create a list with your business expert of hypotheses and validate them against data. So they understand from the uh, beginning that some of the tacit knowledge will be challenged because the data doesn't say the same. This will also incrementally start to release value. And given that we're doing it agilely, it means that different people in the team might be doing different steps. So for example, uh, one might be doing um, an outlier detection algorithm and be in the third steps, which is data preparation before the algorithm. And another data scientist might be starting on the forecasting where they are starting on the business understanding. So you have that flexibility to either work with a team or work collaboratively as individuals producing different steps. One of the things that you you need to understand uh, in a data science team is and these this is why the two methodologies work so well is you have two phases in software you you have mostly the build phase well in data science you have a pre-analysis where you're trying to understand what the data is telling you and then end experiment find the right algorithm to fit the data and then you have a build phase where you know what you're building. These are the three algorithms that we'll employ and we'll just build them, the algorithms. We will have the mathematical evaluation in the end of them and we'll give the end results to our stakeholders. So CRISPM goes to data preparation, mathematical um, modeling, and then evaluation. And I split evaluation in two parts. Again, there is the mathematical evaluation from data scientists and then in our uh, scrum cycles as well with our um, so and tells and everything else 
we have the business validation. So you might have an algorithm that's brilliant, mathematically, 90% accurate, everything else. You show it to the experts and they go, no, I don't think this is right. And then you have, through that business valid validation, almost like a new cycle. So it points back to the business problem. You go, what did we get wrong? Is it a business problem? Is it a data quality issue? Mm -hmm. And you repeat that cycle until you get it right and you deploy. And that actually establishes a good framework. Working in, in Arcade and in Scrum, the other thing that I need to say is um, Scrum is not made for data science. Please do not try the one, two week cycles. It's not enough time. You will just get your data science teams frustrated. Mm. The minimum cycle for me for a data science scrum team is three weeks. And the other thing is please have a technical lead that has equal uh, decision-making power to your product owner. While your product owner is there to establish business value, they need the technical leadership visibility and actually uh, owning the technology roadmap over technical lead. And for me, the data science product owner is the combination of these two people as a role. They are the decision-making engine facilitated by your Scrum Master who needs to make sure that the inevitable tensions between technical and business value actually uh, make sense for the best of the team. Mm. Again, um, key attributes of Christium is the flexibility and modularity that allows it to be tailored to, to a broad range of analytical tasks. So you could do predictive analysis, you could do classification. It's, it's a trial and error approach, as we said. Well, Agile um, is same as Christium to some of the points. There is continuous flow of analysis and development, analysis and development. But the difference is that building the two together you do everything in iterations and sprint, and your previous knowledge uh, forms your new Scrum uh, backlog. So your new sprint backlog. And you continuously educate and create new backlog items from the iterative development analysis phase that your data scientists are doing. And because usually of the DevOps tools that you employ, this catalog of features are also open or insights is also open and said with the whole organizations. Because in your stand-up, you can now engage uh, finding a, a, an insight that is pivotal to a different function to the one that you're trying to deliver this product. So in your show and tell, you can invite them and illustrate the value that you found. I believe that, in my experience, it's a framework that needs some education in the beginning. It needs to have a good understanding and principles. But after a while, it works really well. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, again, a really thorough approach and a really pragmatic approach to take as well. And what I really like about it is obviously you're, you're working with a, you know, the, the concepts and the principles of Agile, but you're adapting it to the to fit the, you know, I guess, the, what, really what the truest sense of Agile actually is, you know, adapting it to, to fit the problem and fit the, fit the solution. And uh, yeah, we talk about uh, if you take take things too literally, you know, two week sprint in a data science uh, initiative isn't it isn't long enough, and, and obviously you need to adapt it more for to be fit for purpose. And I guess, do you, what what other um, classic mistakes um, do you see being made by companies in their data science practices of, of a similar kind of ilk? Um, the classic mistakes. Get a data scientist or a data science function in without having any of the fundamentals. And I, I'm someone that can be flexible, right? If you do not have a data engineering function, I would go, okay, 
let's create uh, data scientist product teams because for me, data engineers are pivotal in a data science product. You need to have at least one, right? But if you do not have any measure of a data function, you do not have data quality, data governance, or anything else in that overlaying framework, I believe you shouldn't start with a data scientist. And I'm, I'm being very honest. Mm. Um, I mean, you get data scientists in and you start then risking uh, regulatory fines because you do not have anyone on the governance. You do not know the quality of your data. So suddenly your data scientists are not the data scientist function, which I have no problem, no qualms of stating data quality as a machine learning problem as long as we at least understand what good quality is and how it can be modeled. If you get a data scientist talking to the business all of the time, trying to find golden records and all that, you will have a very unhappy data scientist. Mm. But you can do anomaly detection algorithms to establish. You can work with the data quality department to, to um, illustrate the value of the data. And actually, I think that data science departments and data quality and data governance departments are, should work very closely. Because through the data science insight, you create and illustrate the value that brings forward the possible investment in, in a data quality, data governance framework. If no one is using the value, why do they spend the money and the time and effort to have clean and good quality data? Um, the other bit is have a whole organization that is negative towards data science and expect data scientists to do miracles. And lastly, bringing data scientists doers, the actual data scientists, with no overarching leadership or with leadership with the wrong experience. It's a, <laughs> a fast fail path mm. to, to disruption because they will take the job, they will find out you don't know what uh, you're talking about. When they start having hurdles, they won't have the right leadership advice, et cetera, et cetera, and they will leave your organization quite soon. Mm. Yeah, it feels like you kind of your approach is you, you, you see a team as something in a real balance, doesn't it? Of getting the right the right blend of like say leadership skills, experience, mindset, and and again, I think that's a sign of, of a great leader. Um, what are your thoughts on team? You know, you mentioned earlier going in, starting small, demonstrating value, building a small team out, and then sort of scaling from there. In a data science initiative in your experience what's your take on sort of optimal team size you know bigger versus smaller would you look to plug the gaps potentially in a business using a third party versus bringing internal skills in yeah how do you approach that my my, my personal uh, recommendation would be be let's start with bigger versus uh, smaller and then move into in-house versus third party. So bigger versus smaller, I, I do think that bigger data science teams become dysfunctional. I mean, while data scientists work very good in pairs, in four or five uh, nucleuses, um, if you have a, big, a data science team of 20, uh, constant challenges, which you foster through the culture, you have a lot of different approaches, not enough focus, people start to get lost. Now you can have 20 data scientists, I've had more in the past, but you need to organize them on different problem domains and they become like sub teams. And then you will find the natural lead that is emerging, which probably will send the mantle of a technical lead because again, as we see in other operational departments, the head doesn't manage everyone in a team. They manage subgroups, leaders, 
And that is a good way to structure it. So I'm all for independent subgroups that come and have interaction points with everyone else and creating that tech lead leadership with people that have the same values but have autonomy. So you can see their performance and almost steer them towards a strategic goal and go where you, you really need it instead of having to manage every little issue everywhere. It also allows people to progress. It shows them a career path, etc., etc. On the in-house versus third party, um, <laughs> I've made an analogy because I've had this. You know, all this, when, when you work in a big company, all these consultancies come every other week to do a presentation on how they can help you in data science and everything else. So for me, when you're starting, having a consultancy come in and become kind of the force driving your data science is like a government giving uh, outsourcing their secret service to someone else. Because that's what it is for business. It's the people analyzing all your data, giving you insight, that becomes decision support mechanisms. So do you really want to take all your decisions on insight provided by consultants or a, or a third party? Now, don't get me wrong. Afterwards, I believe that you should have a third party. Why? Because if you want talent to attract talent, to have a good workplace, you cannot have people coming in for eight, nine months, creating certain bits and algorithms, and then you have excess power. What, what do you do? How do you uh, create that? So for me, it's a blend. It's a worst case scenario, 50-50 blend, 50% internal, 50% external. But I f would feel more comfortable with in-house being a little bit more. Depending on the nature of your business, mm. if you have most of your products as one-offs where you would de develop and not look at them for a couple of years, you might want to go 70-30 and have more people on the outside organization. What third-party organizations offer you is a quick augmentation of your team with the right skills that allows your internal team to grow alongside them if you structure it right and flexibility of resources, something that you can't necessarily have in permanent positions. Mm. But for me, it's an easy mistake to do to scale with uh, outside organizations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I guess a lot of it does depend on, like you said, having a strong strategy for internal talent acquisition as well. Um, you know, and clearly that's the domain that we're in. So obviously it's conversations that we have very regularly with clients about you know, what, what type of talent they're attracting and, and why. And, you know, you shared already that you're of the perspective of aligning people based on their strengths and skills and, and interests to particular types of roles. But do you subscribe to the, the notion of when you're recruiting? I mean, do you have any core characteristics or traits that you feel is you know sort of a, a common thread that that needs to run throughout everybody that you you hire for you talked about values earlier on you know, does that factor into it what's your take on that yes there is one of the one of the things that i i don't kind of ask in an interview but i get is two things curiosity uh actually i'll, I'll make it three it's curiosity self-sufficiency because usually i do not have lots and lots of time and then uh the third is continuous education candidates that might not come from the right background or the uh widespread available background now with the data science bachelors or masters or whatever 
that stay in touch with hackathons, continue to read articles, do online courses, stuff like that. I believe that you understand these people are passionate about what they're coming to do and they will be curious about staying in touch. They will bring more creative ideas to the organization. So I, I really tend to favor them. Again, values of respect as a person and actually knowing why you would come to an organization is something really important, apart from the technical skills. On, on technical, um, while I value a lot of the IT skills, coding, etc., etc., I I am uh, feeling very strong about the mathematical skills of candidates because I feel that that is something that if it's not there, it's really hard to grow inside an environment and it leaves you open to big mistakes that yeah will have significant impact. Mm. Absolutely. It's an interesting point. I mean, clearly data science is a particularly numerate um, discipline and, you know, it, it does obviously naturally attract people from a STEM background. In the same breath, though, data, one of the reasons I love recruiting for it is because uh, you do find people enter into data from all different walks of life and different backgrounds and they, they kind of enter into this area and it's just something they're hugely passionate about. And, uh, you know, they'll probably do it as a job, even if they weren't getting paid for it. Um, and there's some really there's some great data scientists I know that haven't necessarily come from your classical maths or kind of physics background. So, what's your view on that? When you when you're interviewing somebody, would you necessarily need to see a uh, a numerate degree to you know sort of check that box, or would you assess it in a uh, slightly different way um, if somebody's come outside of that? Not necessarily. For me, a CV. Um... As I, as I hope you agree, uh, SAV is just a quick read about you and it needs to pick my interest and you it needs to, to kind of draw my attention. Interview is really where the things will happen. And um, that's the benefit for me, for people that have a, a test, an entry test, if you would like. So your background, your degree, all that, I've, I've met, as you said, brilliant people have come from example from economics backgrounds biology backgrounds stuff mm. that you wouldn't necessarily put in stem um i haven't yet seen someone from arts but i have a colleague that worked someone with a history background who is an absolutely fantastic data scientist mm. so i will ask on the interview what is your extra curricular activities because for me a degree you did because you kind of must should etc what you read in your spare time what you study in your spare time is your own passions mm. so i would consider that i would also consider your performance on the test when quite frankly there are people that are amazing on the test and they had no experience previously on a degree and they make really valid points and in the end of the day i will also see and try to get your problem solving attitude because that's what we all need to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, again, yeah, it seems like a very, very level-headed and uh, holistic approach you have to that. And yeah, I totally agree. You know, I think you've got to look at it in, in you can't sort of, when we're assessing a candidate, you know, like you say, a CV is just a piece of paper at the end of the day. Um, yeah. As much as it gives you a bio about somebody, you never really know somebody until you've sat down, had a coffee with them or, you know, done a, done a Zoom call. And that's, that's why we make sure it's a, a prerequisite for everybody we work with that, you know, we've done 
some form of uh, face-to-face interaction. Um, and it seems like, again, you're, you're sort of taking a, a bigger picture of you on it as well. Um, so, so yeah, what you, so I think it's a really, really fascinating chat that you, you've shared so much value and it's been incredible. And, and I guess I'd like to sort of close by asking one question on, you know, very often when I speak to uh, CEOs and MDs, they're thinking about starting data science functions because they're thinking right what's data what can data science do for the business okay which is clearly uh, an obvious uh, question that a lot of leaders are going to ask but in terms of the ongoing success of a data science initiative or a data science function what do you feel is important that's coming the other way you know towards a data science team you know what uh, what kind of wider factors do you feel are important to consider to ensure the ongoing success of a data science function within a business? I would suggest there are, there are a couple of things. Some of them are internal factors to the function, some are external. I will start with some of the big external ones. For me, create a stakeholder community that is supportive of you. Uh, every success, however small, shout about it to the whole business, advertise it. Do not forget that you're not an isolated. The fact that you're a data science function and maybe uh, even the CEO of the company was personally involved in hiring this new function because you're overhyped does actually give you a very good standing. But uh, bear in mind that it might create some negative stakeholders saying we're working very hard here day out day in operations and just because we don't do exciting, fancy stuff that possibly deliver no value in the business, we don't get recognition. Try to to gain, uh, at every level, supporters. And that will ensure the longevity of the function. If you're helpful, come always from a place where you're trying to help people. And that really illustrates that culture uh, emanates inside the business and creates a fame about your data science because in, in other businesses where I've uh, talked with other leaders, they have an approach of a little bit of a data science rock star, what I call a bit of a diva, um, especially that is easy uh, for us to, to get there, especially if you had some early successes and now everyone is piling on your door, asking for more stuff, offering funding, offering everything. Um, always remember that we're there to, to help the organization move forward. Uh, most of the businesses currently are not data science businesses, so we are another function striving to get things moving and forward. Mm. Um, the, th- the second thing is aligned to your organizational strategy. Find what is important and find how you do play a pivotal role to that. So if we go to, to the profit space, what is your change in the bottom line? Have you calculated? Have you found it out? And that is, for me, quite a big thing for you as a leader. What is your benefit um, realization framework? What is your learnings from things that actually went really well in the technical spectrum but failed to deliver the, the value? Have you done the root cause analysis? Have you understood the why? Have you worked with finance to find out what have you done towards the bottom line? What works and doesn't work? Mm-hmm. how you prioritize future use cases. And then internally, um, I have a, a line that I use for my people. I say that I want to grow data scientists inside my team. I want them to reach maturity. And I want them because as, it's, as is natural, if there is no uh, next role for them to step into, I want them to leave. 
I feel that is natural. I feel that is um, creating a good branding and a good uh, name for your data science function. But you can only do that by creating a talent pipeline. It's mm -hmm. so, so important. Look, this is a very hot domain. Whoever and whatever you're doing, some of your team will leave you. Even if you're the best leader of them all. And it's only um, reasonable. Data science is something that can be applied to almost every domain. Same tools, different domain. People will become curious. They want to see something different yeah. in their life. So you should create a pipeline working with young talent after you establish your initial uh, bit. That's why probably that's the hardest phase, finding your three, four fast recruits, building the right culture, and then starting to getting two new people in that you probably will grow and they will be the brilliant candidates that you might not necessarily uh, be able to find in the open market in the beginning, playing to their strengths. And again, remember that these people are advocates. Things like hackathons, podcasts, stuff like that are good ways to advertise your function and create that um, external reputation. I mean, let's, let's go on simple examples. Why is Google never without talent in data science? I don't think they work with uh, best recruiters. And I'm not saying they, have, they don't have a brilliant HR team and recruiters and everything else. But quite frankly, when you, when you grow up in this space, you hear certain names that are brilliant leaders where you want to work for. Create an organization where people aspire to work in. And the right people and the right talent pipeline will be created. Mm. And then have your long-term strategy. Part of your uh, head of data science is not the data science. Part of it is the head. What's your milestones? What's your five-year plan? How does it align with the central strategy? What do you need to tweak every year to revisit your strategy around that? How are you bringing personally value to the business? That will allow you to, um, to have a successful running data science team. And also the biggest pitfall for me, be very wary of your uh, third party exposure. Bear in mind that you can scale quickly if it needs and go into a model of 80, 20, let's say 20 in house, 80% in a partner. Year two, you need to start changing that balance. Otherwise, you find yourself locked in working with 80% of talent from a, a partner and quite frankly, in the for-profit space, people are not naive. When they know they own the biggest part of the pie, you will start the, your revenue diminishing. It will be more difficult to create business value just because of your expenses going up and you won't have a strong base internally. Mm. So that's yeah. my two pieces of advice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, phenomenal, absolutely. And uh, I think you know, all it remains for me to say is, you know, thank you very much for for coming on today and sharing so much value. And uh, I think it's clearly no surprise that you clearly had the background you have and, and the career you have to date, and, and why you've been such a successful data science leader. So um, yeah, huge amount of value shared, and um, I very much look forward to, to keeping in touch and hearing about your future successes. Um, no doubt that will be uh, be forthcoming. Thank you very much, Guy. Have a lovely end of the day. It was really good to be here. Good, man. Great to talk to you. Cheers, Elias. Cheers. Bye-bye.